Hello and welcome to episode 42 of a pay-per-view where I review the papers and big headlines over the week in place of events and headlines in their true context in a weekly podcast. Pay-per-view, now on iTunes, TuneIn and Spotify. Technically speaking, we live in a world of increasing technology and while technology has allowed for advancement in practically every area of society, with many great things it allows us to do and the new doors it has opened to possibility, it also has a very sinister end. In this episode, I look at stories either directly focused on or leading to the technological agenda for human society and humanity, and why our obsession with smart and other technology could be the least intelligent move the human race has ever made. And the first subject this week is fracking. This is in The Guardian. Fracking firm boss says it didn't expect to cause such serious quakes. A senior executive at the fracking company Quadrilla privately said this summer it did not expect to cause earthquakes that would be serious enough to force it to halt operations. But despite that confidence, the company has triggered 37 minor quakes since it started fracking for gas at its Preston New Road site in Lancashire three weeks ago. Two of those have been powerful enough to exceed a regulatory threshold that requires fracking to stop. And on a third occasion, the company voluntarily ceased operations when it neared the limit. Quadrilla has said such tremors are to be expected from fracking, which involves pumping water, sanding chemicals two kilometres underground at high pressure. Under government regulations, fracking must stop if a 0.5 magnitude earthquake is registered. But during a tour of the site in June, Matthew Lambert, the Government and Public Affairs Director at Quadrilla, said, Because we are managing that risk, I don't really accept that we are likely to cause seismicity above that level an apparent reference to 0.5 magnitude, it says, and we will not be causing seismicity which will damage property. He described the system of monitoring seismicity as highly regulated and said the company had to manage that risk of causing tremors, a recording of the discussion shows. Seismicity basically means the likelihood of there being an earthquake and the relation of certain activity to earthquakes. The article goes on. The Green Party said the comments made months before earthquakes that breached the regulatory limit showed Quadrilla was obviously in any way over their heads. Jonathan Bartley, the co-leader of the Green Party, said they were unaware they would cause tremors anywhere near this strong and they evidently don't know how to stop them. He said he felt it was unambiguous that Lambert was referring to the 0.5 limit with his reference to above that level. Francis Egan, the chief executive of Quadrilla, last week urged the government to relax the regulatory threshold or risk stifling shale gas exploration. The Energy Minister Claire Perry rejected such calls, saying only a very foolish politician would do so at this point. The Green Party accused Quadrilla of trying to strong-arm the government into changing the limit. Bartley said any relaxation of the rules would be unacceptable for residents who were concerned about the security of their homes. That doesn't matter. That never gets factored into the situation, for reasons I'll explain shortly. The article goes on. Quadrilla has not triggered any tremors since Sunday the 4th of November when a 0.7 magnitude quake was registered. As it happened at a time when fracking was not underway, it did not register as a red light on the traffic light system and regulation. That has not reassured Labour and Conservative MPs in North West England who wrote to the Business Secretary Greg Clark last week over their concerns about the tremors. Lambert said Quadrilla is operating within a traffic light system managed by the Oil and Gas Authority. The micro-seismicity that has been detected at our exploration site in Preston New Road is way below anything that can be felt as surface in a very, very long way from anything that would cause damage or harm. This is what my quote refers to. In line with regulations, seismicity will continue to be closely monitored by Quadrilla and the relevant regulators. Well, I heard someone the other day, the radio was on and there was a news story about fracking. And this person said, when are they going to realise that fracking causes the earthquakes? They already bloody know. Oh, 
We didn't know that if you drill into the ground, kilometres under the ground, and you fracture the ground, that might lead to earthquakes. Bollocks. Of course they bloody know. They can't say they do, however, otherwise they'd have no justification for continuing. And also because fracking is all about destroying land, filling the water with poisons and toxins and making areas uninhabitable, thus driving people away from the land. And this is the United Nations Agenda 21. This is the agenda to herd people into smart cities, as they're called, mega cities, mega regions. The point is, if we were talking about North America, for example, then that's a country known for natural earthquakes in certain places. But Britain doesn't get earthquakes traditionally to cause the kind of damage that fracking... Yes, it might happen here and there. Yes, Britain does get earthquakes, but it's not known for them. And certainly nothing like America with the frequency of America. Nothing traditionally like fracking earthquakes with all the problems that can cause and the amount of times it can cause them. You've got this guy Lambert, this government and public affairs director at Quadrilla, who says that the fracking is within the traffic light system managed by the Oil and Gas Authority. Well, an important lesson to learn is that whenever safety levels are officially set and it's something beneficial or fundamental to the elite's agenda, they're never true safety levels. They're levels at which the effect is not so obvious while still having the effect they're really meant to have, in this case, poisoning the water and causing earthquakes. If you want to drive people away from rural areas and countryside and into the city, smart cities, these mega cities, mega regions, then you have to make them leave. And this is what fracking is all about. There's other ways it's being done as well, but fracking is one of them. The most fundamental requirement for life is water. So if you poison the water through fracking, people have no choice but to leave the area. There's a video on YouTube of someone causing fire by holding a match to water because of the oil and gas within the water, the water coming out of the tap. If you cause an earthquake powerful enough, or less powerful earthquakes often enough, then again, people will have to leave at some point. So you make the land uninhabitable and people then have to move into the city. The agenda is to regionalize countries. So instead of having lots of cities like there is now, there will be mega regions or mega cities. If you think of counties replacing all the cities in the counties range, so counties almost become cities in their own right, that kind of gives you an idea of what we're talking about. It's not quite the same, but it gives you an idea. Counties sectioned off from other counties with permission needed to travel between them, with all travel being at the behest of the authorities. This is why there's such an agenda to develop underground rail travel. They want that to be the main means of travel because then you can decide who travels and who doesn't. This is why we've got driverless cars. This is why we've got driverless cars, which the Silicon Valley monster Google is behind. Driverless cars would be programmed to take you nowhere authority doesn't want you to go. And if you don't keep authority happy, you won't go anywhere. That's basically the agenda. And I talk in episode 11 about the reason for this smart cities agenda. When something supports the elite's agenda, no matter if it's dangerous and leaves people without drinking water and without a home, it goes ahead anyway because it supports the elite's agenda. If fracking was not so beneficial to the elite's agenda, then there would be a proper discussion and debate and people's views would be considered and it would have stopped a long time ago. But because it supports the elite's agenda, there's no debate, it goes ahead. Because society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. <laughs>
next subject this week is memory technology. This is in the Daily Mail. Want to replace painful memories with happy ones? Total Recall technology will soon let scientists tweak our brainwaves, but it may allow cyber criminals to steal our minds. It's a dream long held by science fiction writers that one day we will be able to erase painful memories and create happy ones. But now scientists at Oxford University say that fiction is closer to reality than we might have thought. For they are on the cusp of developing technology that will enable us to rub out difficult episodes from the past and make the best ones even better. By electronically tinkering with brainwaves that cement our memories in place, we may soon be able to treat conditions including amnesia and post-traumatic stress disorder by removing what causes us distress altogether, said researcher Laurie Pycroft. Using the same techniques, we will be able to insert what are being described as memory prostheses to enhance our recollections or even create new ones. The idea was the basis for the 1990 film Total Recall based on a short story by Philip K. Dick in which Arnold Schwarzenegger's character Douglas Quaid takes a virtual vacation only to discover the life he thought he was leading was a lie. Mr. Pycroft, a doctoral researcher and expert in implantable neuromodulation devices at Oxford's Functional Neurosurgery Group, said memory implants are a real and exciting prospect offering significant healthcare benefits. The prospect of being able to alter and enhance our memories with electrodes may sound like fiction, but it is based on solid science, the foundations of which already exist today. Memory prostheses are only a question of time. The article goes on. The article goes on. The ability to electronically record the brainwaves that build memories and then enhance or even rewrite them before putting them back may be just a decade away, say experts. But there is a dark side. Cyber attackers may one day be able to remotely steal our memories or even implant fake ones by targeting the mind-reading devices. Dmitry Galov of cybersecurity company Kaspersky Lab, which is collaborating with Oxford, said, although no attacks targeting neurostimulators have been observed in the wild, points of weakness exist that will not be hard to exploit. The Oxford Functional Neurosurgery Group is already using neurostimulators embedded in the brains of patients to alleviate the symptoms of various illnesses. The surgically implanted devices, which resemble heart pacemakers, deliver small pulses of electricity to the target area of the brain or spinal cord. For example, targeting a deep brain structure called the subthalamic nucleus can relieve stiffness, slowness in movement and tremor in people with Parkinson's. Well, I talk in episode 11 about the technological agenda and what we're looking at here is the sales pitch if you want people to become addicted to technology which we're seeing now and if you want people to embrace technology you don't tell them what it's really there for you sell it to them as a positive thing this is the way any aspect of this agenda is sold it's the only way it could be sold so what we're looking at with this technology is not erasing memories we don't want and creating better ones but eventually manipulating memory and implanting memory to suit authority's end anyone has information that that you, authority, don't want them having, well, just delete their memory of it then. You don't even need the constant censorship that we're seeing now, which I talk about in episode 27, not least through Silicon Valley and social media. But you don't even need that. You just delete someone's memory directly. This is one step away from the ultimate end game behind technology, which I talk about, as I say, in episode 11. The whole foundation of the elite's control and manipulation is control and manipulation of perception. If you're a tiny few, you can't control people physically because there's too many people. You have to do it by manipulating people's thought and emotion. And that's what the censorship is about, not least through, I say, social media. That's what programming through film and television and books is about. They call it predictive programming, where you place something in front of someone, a concept, enough times that it 
enters the subconscious mind and eventually filters through to the conscious mind as something that they are more seemingly familiar with or that the least they don't resist as much as they would otherwise because the world the elite according to their agenda want to bring in is so dramatically different as to be almost unrecognizable well actually unrecognizable from what we have now so you can't just bring that in even if you do it slowly you can't just bring it in without a massive reaction against it so to soften the resistance you place through film and tv and books and video games the world you want to create you put it in front of people and if people watch it without an understanding of what they're watching and why they're watching it why it's there in the first place then the process i've just described of eventually it becomes more familiar to them that's what will happen you've got programming through education and the mainstream media it's all about manipulating perception an important point to understand as i've said before is that technology which is beneficial to the elite's agenda that is proposed through the media as being possible already exists the proposals or the talk of the possibility of it being introduced is just to test the water it's just to sow the seeds for public awareness and public acceptance then it's introduced into society the technological awareness and possibility beyond the public arena is massively ahead of anything we see in the public arena there's basically two timelines there's what actually exists and it's possible and then there's the timeline of when to introduce that into the public arena because if it's introduced too quickly then it's like where on earth did this come from so you have to introduce a technology at a time when it's feasible in the public timeline that it could exist at that point and of course now we're seeing increasingly advanced technology being introduced quicker and quicker because they've got to the point now where technology is advanced or technology has been introduced to the point where it's feasible now that technology could be moving forward at the pace that it is even though the technology has existed for a long time before that you can't introduce it out of nowhere because people would ask where it's come from how have we got this advanced technology already where how did it happen so you've got to do it in a believable pattern and they've reached the point now where they can do that without people questioning it and the cover stories that they invent oh this geek invented it in their garage or in their university dorm room isn't it amazing how much technology comes out of garages and university dorm rooms what would be the chances of that the number of times we're told that's where technology comes from or a university laboratory or whatever i mean do we really believe that this elite were sitting around drumming their fingers before computers came along which are so obviously essential to the elite's agenda as they would be for anyone seeking global control just waiting for computers to be introduced oh what i really hope someone invents computers i mean we really need it for global control i don't know what oh what a bit of luck someone's just invented a computer i mean are we really saying that's where technology comes from that's where it happens computers were just invented by chance when they're so essential to global control of course not computers were introduced when it was feasible that they could exist from the perspective of the public timeline 
This is why understanding the agenda is so crucial, because if you do, you can use technology and get the benefits of technology without getting addicted to it or without getting poured into the agenda behind it, because you know the agenda behind it, as I explained in episode 11. And it's about global control, because that's what the elite's agenda is. Indeed, the agenda behind technology is the end game of the agenda. And I guess you'd expect with an agenda that is about global control, that the end game would be the ultimate form of control, and that's what technology is in terms of the agenda behind it. When you look at it, we're constantly seeing history being rewritten. We're seeing it with censorship. We're seeing it through Amazon refusing to publish certain books. Amazon is another Silicon Valley monster in spirit or lack of it, though not in location. We're seeing the digitization of books so they're now electronic meaning they could be edited or just deleted we're seeing it with the politically correct mob the progressives regressives constantly wanting to whitewash history by attacking certain figures from history and demanding statues be taken down or this or that figure no longer be discussed as part of university courses we're seeing the constant rewriting of history and that's even before you get to memory technology it's like george orwell said He who controls the past controls the present, and he who controls the present controls the future. When you understand history, you have a much better understanding of where you are in the present. But if you have a manipulated sense of history, you have a manipulated sense of where you are in the present, and how you got here. It's interesting, when I was writing this, I had an insight. When you think about it, this kind of technology is a perfect example of the way society is run. We have a psychopathic society run, ultimately, by psychopathic people and although there are well-meaning but ignorant and also intimidated people in positions of power and administration society is ultimately run by psychopathic people and as such we have a society that is against the interests of the people i've always said that society is agenda driven not people driven people are always looking for a way to feel better or to escape and this appeals to their unhappiness with life or society because of the system we live under Drugs of various kinds are the most popular way people try to escape and technology will become another if we allow it to. People always look for a solution rather than addressing and removing the cause of the problem. And the causes of the problem are people's ignorance of the true nature of world events and the direction of human society. The fact that there's an agenda by an ultra-psychopathic tiny few elite directing human society and what that agenda entails for human existence and human freedom, i.e. the end of it and also people's lack of willingness or courage to face it and overturn it. I can understand why people have the lack of courage more than I can understand the lack of ignorance, especially nowadays with the greatest access to information in known human history. Nobody can say they didn't have a chance to find out. But the simple fact is that unless we address it, the unhappiness and lack of contentedness people feel will only increase, because the same problems are present and in fact are only increasing. I understand the urge to escape and how easy it is, but memory technology is not the answer. I understand the urge to escape and how easy it is, but memory technology is not the answer. I said that the sales pitch for this technology is that it will help us to erase memories we don't like. And when you look at it, the same network that causes the problems, that causes the unhappiness and lack of contentedness people feel in life, that leads to depression in some people. Mental illness is on the rise now. More and more people are feeling anxiety. And it's no wonder when you look at life and look at the world. 
The point is, however, that the same network that causes the problems then comes forward with the solutions which are presented as more convenience, but the sales pitch for the increased convenience in this context, and the context I'm talking about now, only works as long as people feel unhappy. If people are happy with life, they don't want to change. So there constantly have to be problems created to which solutions can be offered, and we see this right across society. Not just in the context I'm talking about now, but in other contexts as well. Create the problem, offer the solution. Memory technology is not the answer, nor anything like it. Addressing the true nature of society and the world and its direction is the answer. Nothing is more important in people's lives than addressing and acting on that information because everything that people value in their life comes from that. The next subject this week is microchipping. This is in The Guardian. Alarm over talks to implant UK employees with microchips. Britain's biggest employer organisation and main trade union body have sounded the alarm over the prospect of British companies implanting staff with microchips to improve security. UK firm Biotech, that's B-I-O-T-E-Q, which offers the implants to businesses and individuals, has already fitted 150 implants in the UK. The tiny chips implanted in the flesh between the thumb and forefinger are similar to those for pets. They enable people to open their front door, access their office or start their car with a wave of their hand and can also store medical data. Another company, Biohacks of Sweden, B-I-O-H-A-X, also provides human chip implants the size of a grain of rice. It told the Sunday Telegraph that it is in discussions with several British legal and financial firms about fitting their employees with microchips, including one major company with hundreds of thousands of employees. The CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, which represents 190,000 UK businesses, voiced concerns about the prospect. The CBI spokesperson said, while technology is changing the way we work, this makes for distinctly uncomfortable reading. Firms should be concentrating on rather more immediate priorities and focusing on engaging their employees. The TUC, that's the Trade Union Congress, is worried that staff could be coerced into being microchipped. Its General Secretary, Francis O'Grady, said, We know workers are already concerned that some employers are using tech to control and micromanage, whittling away their staff's right to privacy. Microchipping would give bosses even more power and control over their workers. There are obvious risks involved and employers must not brush them aside or pressure staff into being chipped. Stephen Northam, the founder and owner of Hampshire-based biotech, told The Guardian that most of its 150 implants have been for individuals, while some financial engineering firms have also had the chips implanted in their staff. Biotech has also implanted them in employees of a bank testing the technology and has shipped them to Spain, France, Germany, Japan and China. They cost between £70 and £260 per person. Northam himself and all the directors of Biotech and one of his other companies, Hive, have been microchipped. Joanne Osterlin, the founder of Biohacks and a former body piercer, told The Telegraph that his microchips, which cost £150 each, could help financial and legal firms improve security. These companies have sensitive documents they are dealing with. The chips would allow them to set restrictions for whoever. Osterlin said big companies with 200,000 employees can offer this as an opt-in. If you have a 15% uptake, that is still a huge number of people that won't require a physical ID pass. Osterlin said big companies with 200,000 employees can offer this as an opt-in. If you have a 15% uptake, that is still a huge number of people that won't require a physical ID pass. 
Last year, Wisconsin-based Three Square Market partnered with BioHatson became the first company in the U.S. to microchip its employees on a voluntary basis. KPMG, one of the big four accountancy firms, said it was not planning to microchip its employees and would under no circumstances consider doing so. Fellow accounting firms EY and PwC also said they would not consider microchipping their employees. Deloitte declined to comment. Biohaxis plans to open an office in London according to its website. It claims 4,000 people have been microchipped mostly in Sweden. Microchipping is really taken off in Sweden. It is working with the state-owned Swedish rail firm Statens Jarnvargar to allow its passengers to travel by chipping plants rather than train tickets. Biohaxis did not respond to requests for comment. Well, I've been aware of the microchip agenda for about 10-11 years now. It was one of the first things I came across when I started to realised the world was very different to how I thought it was. And it's only become far more prevalent since then. When I first became aware of microchipping, I was thinking of the traditional idea of a microchip, the small square chip. And then I came across what's known as the very chip, which is a different design to the microchip, a rounder, thinner design. And it's much more suited to being inserted into the body. And then I became aware of the ultimate microchip, you might call it, which is widely used in various ways in society and I'm convinced is in chemtrails which is nanotechnology which is beyond the ability of the human eye to see which I'm convinced are in what are known as chemtrails. Chemtrails are like condensation trails from jets, airplanes except instead of disappearing after a few seconds and then some more comes out exhaust from the craft they stick around in the sky for ages and then they expand and they include various chemicals, metals which fall to the ground eventually and people absorb them. I mean the idea of breathing in microchips would seem far-fetched but not with nanotechnology. I'm convinced nanotechnology which is beyond the ability of the human eye to see and is all part of the technological agenda I explain in episode 11. One of the selling points of microchips is that you'll be able to interact with doors, your fridge, your computer, technology, etc. And this is what former CIA director David Petraeus calls the Internet of Things, where everything is connected to the Internet. And this is not about convenience, but control, because with everything connected to a central point, then that allows for control from a central point. And anyone who challenges or exposes authority will find this technological interaction suddenly a lot harder. There's another level beyond there's another level beyond the Internet of Things, and that's the technological endgame agenda I talk about in episode 11. One key point to understand if you're going to understand the world and society is that convenience does not equal freedom. And just because you might be able to open a door or pay for your groceries quicker does not mean you're living in a more advanced society. It just means you're living in a more convenient society. But the convenience comes at a price, and that price is ultimately the end of freedom. I've said before that the body is a computer. The parallels are obvious when you look at it. So if you have a microchip inside you, then you can be externally controlled. You can be made to feel any emotion or to act in any way. The foundation of global control is manipulation and control of thought and emotion. Because there's only a tiny few in full knowledge who are behind the agenda for the world and society and know how and why the world and society is as it is and is going in the direction it is. And then there's billions being dictated to and having their lives dictated and directed in the image of the elite's agenda. So the only way to achieve your agenda if you're the elite, because there's too few of you to do it physically, is to manipulate and control thought and emotion. And that's why the mainstream media, education and entertainment are what they are and the technological agenda takes the whole thing to another level entirely. (laughs) 
the final subject this week is transgender. This is in the Telegraph. Labour Party threatens disciplinary action against member who calls transgender woman a man. The Labour Party is the opposition party in Britain, in England. The Labour Party has threatened a member with disciplinary action for referring to a transgender woman as a man. Janie Hutton made the comment on a closed Facebook group writing, It's painful to see biological women say trans women, men, or sisters. The desperation to appear PC woke is vomit-inducing. These are men. She then received a letter from Sophie Goodyear, head of complaints of Labour's National Executive Committee, describing the remarks as offensive, saying abuse of any kind, whether direct attacks or pejorative language, which may cause offence, is not acceptable and will not be tolerated in our party. The letter, sent on October the 18th, added, I am therefore writing to remind you that describing those who identify as transgender women as men is not what we would expect from a member of the Labour Party, and ask that you refrain from making comments of this nature in the future. Please be aware that any repeat of this conduct may lead to formal disciplinary action. Miss Hutton has responded by making a complaint to Labour that her human rights have been breached. Miss Hutton has responded by making a complaint to Labour that her human rights have been breached. In a letter to Miss Goodyear, she wrote, I am not under the delusion that humans can change sex. This is my belief and therefore I have the right not to have my belief invalidated by your dogma. This is also ECHR, which is the European Court of Human Rights. Article 9, as my freedom not to believe in your ideology. She has not yet received a response. The row erupted on the Closed Labour Women's Network Facebook group where fellow members Jez Phillips challenged Miss Hutton's language saying this is a space for all women regardless of how they identify. If you don't like it, leave. Miss Hutton responded, I'm not leaving, I'm a woman and a lesbian and if that's a problem for other women, then that says something about what's going wrong with Labour. She added, only men can be trans. What don't you understand about this fact, Jez? When you welcome transvestites, which are what trans women, men, who have not had the GRS, gender realignment surgery, are, then why bother have any women at all? The fact you cannot see the insidious and appalling misogyny going on here is disturbing. You are gaslighting yourself and us. In December, Venice Allen, 42, was asked to leave another Labour Women's Network event because her views made a trans party member feel unsafe. The feminist single mother from Lewisham, that's a borough in South London, known for her outspoken views on trans issues, accused the Labour Party of an appalling Orwellian betrayal of women when she was made to leave the Christmas party by Chair Olivia Bailey because her presence was making Lily Madigan, the first transgender person to be elected as a women's officer, feel uncomfortable. Well, I've said before, it's ludicrous that people should face such a backlash for getting a pronoun wrong, and especially to be faced with disciplinary action. If someone decides they're transgender and they're now a woman, but are still biologically and physically a man, then they're a man. There is a difference between man and woman body-wise, you may have noticed. This is indicative of the post-fact society that we now live in, where facts, in this case scientific facts, don't matter if someone's offended or might be, or has decided they want to be addressed in a certain way. How long before not using the correct pronoun is a hate crime? I featured a story last week that talked about hate crime rising, but it's not on the scale they're telling us. What's rising is people speaking outside of the official politically correct line and challenging the politically correct orthodoxy. I talked in episode 8 about the transgender agenda and I called that episode Endgame for reasons that become clear when listening to that episode. It might seem when people see stories about, for example, kids' cartoon characters being renamed or snowmen being renamed snow people, that it's just madness, and it is, but I say there's a deeper agenda here, and it's fundamentally connected to the transgender agenda, because the more you feed people the removal of gender, even on that basic level, 
the more you are normalizing it and making it familiar so the less people will resist it and they'll start to think themselves that it should be applied even more so you're basically feeding people a perception that's what i say is going on with all this focus on renaming and removing gender from previously gendered characters and toys etc and notice how often it's aimed at kids they're the generation that has to be fed this no gender agenda the most because they're going to be the adults when the world of the elite's agenda is in full swing if we allow it i mean it's bad enough now but by the time the kids of now are adults that's when it's designed to really be in full swing when you live in the post-fact society we are increasingly living in where facts don't matter as much as someone's reactions to those facts and feelings upon hearing or reading those facts then you generate the very problems we're seeing now with law enforcement and authority not dealing with people of a certain political correctness group for fear of being branded transphobic or sexist or racist etc and you generate the very animosity towards people of those groups that the progressives and the pc mob complain about when they're causing it they're the ones causing the lack of response to gang raping for example which allows it to go on unchallenged and the more they attack people for pointing out facts about subjects covered under political correctness the more these problems will reoccur in society also a post-fact society allows you to make the rules and change the rules as you like so justice disappears and only what suits political correctness in other words what suits the elite in their agenda is ever seen heard or allowed to happen and anything else outside of political correctness is bigoted in a hate crime so you basically live in a society where true justice disappears and anything goes i talk in episode 15 about why i say that political correctness is the ultimate discrimination madness but the progressives and the pc mob can't remove their rose-colored glasses for long enough if ever to see it they think they're bringing diversity equality and justice when they're destroying all three diversity for them means support for minorities and imposition of the pc rules on everyone else they don't realize that true diversity means the right to a different opinion and basing decisions on facts not fallacy we're seeing the destruction of true diversity equality and justice which means the end of freedom by the day and increasingly so and so we need to stand up to it by speaking our truth and making decisions based on facts only regardless of offense or reaction because if we don't and pretty quickly the end of freedom beckons this is not an agenda that is designed to play out in the near future it's an agenda that we're seeing unfold every day and we need to stand up to it now people have to stand up against this nonsense because otherwise it will only continue and in fact get worse until any speech or questioning outside the official line of gender will be illegal and considered a hate crime in other words, anything exposing the gender of a gender will be a hate crime. And that ends with the end of freedom. And this is the end of this episode. So that's it for this week. That's the news. That's the context and connections. That's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye.